Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I am Tyler Metcalf, joined as always by Tyler Rucker. Rucker, how's it going? Metcalf, I'm doing great. You know, I'm really proud of you for doing this episode because I know you got your T-Wolves playing in the playing tournament tonight, so you're probably about to get like five minutes of sleep. So um, I'm proud of you. This is this is uh, going to be a fun one. So how are you doing? Are you getting excited for this game? Have you been breathing at all today? You know, let's let's get let's get down to bass tracks right now. I am an emotional wreck, and I'm going to do my best to mask it throughout this episode where we routinely talk about our failures. So really good catharsis and, you know, should be therapeutic. Um, no, not 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 a whole lot of great vibes going into this game. Very excited. Excited for some pseudo playoff basketball. Um, but I just, being a pessimist at heart, I just naturally envision every wrong scenario happening. So I'm... <laughs> Emotionally, I'm prepared for Paul George going for 50, Reggie Jackson dropping 25, Trey or Terrence Mann, you know, scoring 21 on seven threes from the corner. So I'm 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 already there. So yeah, you're a, in a anything good place other there. than that, anything other than that is a positive. Yeah, you just gotta get ready for the Luke Kennard 20 burger. And then other than that, you're fine. <laughs> exactly. And who who hasn't been burned by that before? So exactly. But more importantly. Uh, we're going to switch it up a little bit today. So instead of really diving in and breaking down some guys' games, we thought it was appropriate to kind of eat some crow and go through where we fucked up in the past and where we've missed. Because if you can't acknowledge where you've been wrong, how do you ever expect to learn and grow and improve? And worst case scenario, all of you get to laugh at us. So Rucker, um, we're just each going to kind of run through a, a few guys and then we'll pivot it into guys that we could see falling into this category for us a few years from now. So when you think of who you missed on in the past, is there uh, like a consistent archetype or is it just kind of all over the place? It's a little all over the place. Um, you know, I, I'm actually really excited to do this episode because I, I think it's so damn important. And, and, you know, I'm not trying to sound like an arrogant prick when I say this for once, but um, I just feel like everyone's always, you know, when it comes to social media or just like writers, evaluators, everyone's just so nervous to do this. And this is important. Like, yeah, no one in the draft community or evaluators out there, no one's perfect. Like if you were 70% on every draft class as a scout, you'd be awesome. And I think it's it takes a lot of courage to just get out there and be like, dude, this is where I sucked. And that's why I was like pumped to do this episode with you. And I know at No Ceilings, we're planning on doing like a big piece about this because it's important. Like, hey, you can't be perfect. You can't see everyone the right way. Um, you're going to have your misses. And it's important to learn from those misses and grow as an evaluator. So, you know, when it comes to like personally – it varies. It varies from year to year and it, it really pisses me off. That's the type of stuff that really keeps me up at night. Um, you know, sometimes it's just like, I don't read a guy's situation properly where I'm watching the film and I'm not taking into consideration like yes. the system that he's in or what type of team he's playing for, what they're wanting him to do. And I, I, now it's something that I keep in the back of my memory. Like I've learned from that and I'm like, okay, if I'm not seeing the production, 
is it just the player or is it also what's going on behind the scenes? Like, what are they asking him to do? So a lot of stuff can change. Um, it's been something really valuable personally for me that I learn each and every year when, mm-hmm. when you're evaluating guys, it's like, no, you got to go back to that lesson you learned and remember that before you give up on a guy. So um, how about yourself, Metcalf? Is there anything that's like been a, a norm? Because me and you have talked before about like bigs yeah. um, and, and that's definitely always a challenge. Like there's, there's specific challenges with each position, but is there anything that you've kind of struggled with over the years? Yeah. And the, the situation point that you mentioned, I think is really important. And the more I do this, the more I try to really factor that in because, you know, when you you look at a guy like Jaden McDaniels and that situation clearly wasn't best for him and he was clearly miserable and you can just tell by his body language. If you watch his high school tape, then watch his Washington tape and now watch him in Minnesota, it's a completely different person. And, you know, he's not the most, you know, Wow, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, enthusiastic person to begin with, but he was demonstrative and miserable at Washington. And now he gets into a situation where he has a little more freedom, a little more, you know, who knows what was going on behind the scenes, but he's in a more positive situation and his play style completely changes. So stuff like that. Um, and then a, a, an archetype I've always really struggled with is not are kind of undersized centers who don't necessarily shoot from outside and yeah. that I'm just not smart enough to envision a scheme and kind of think about how they can consistently make an impact, you know, guys who like more physical ones like Bam Adebayo, I didn't envision him being this, but I still thought he had the tools to be solid guys like Isaiah Stewart could easily fall into this conversation for me tonight where I I was super low on Stewart and I just didn't see it working. And maybe like McDaniels, it was that situation type of thing. So, you know, I wanted, I didn't mean to cut you off. I I just, the McDaniels thing is so important that I want to tell this story because it actually like really ties into this episode and I don't want to forget about it. So I'm sorry, Metcalf, I already cut you off. I know you're stressing about the two wolves. Um, McDaniels, it, it's funny. He was the one of the hardest evaluations I've ever had because came into the preseason. We all knew the hype. That film at Washington was horrifying. Like pretty much why, you know, if you've seen The Shining, why he, he basically flips like throughout the movie is watching Jay McDaniels film. And I remember I was I was with someone in the draft community that I respect their opinion very highly. And we were talking about guys right before the drafts. And I was just like, what am I missing with Jaden McDaniels? I, I can't figure it out. Like I've watched that guy more than anyone. Like, what am I missing? And I remember he told me, he said, don't fall in love with that year. There is serious tools there. Like I, I've seen him in person dominate NBA guys at workouts. Like he has the tools. It was just a nightmare year. So I think it really is important. Like we're talking about like the situation you you can't just only trust the film. Like we're always obsessed with the college film or the the previous like amateur teams if they're playing overseas. You got to take the whole sl- slate. You, you got to go back and, and watch high school. Like um, see what they did there. Like maybe it just was the the system, the fit. So um, yeah, M- it, McDaniel's is a good one. I, I completely spaced on that because that was one of the more puzzling ones I've I've had to deal with. And then when I went back and watched him, I was like, all right. I get it. Like I felt yeah. a little bit better, you know, so 
just wanted to say that, Metcalf. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Um, so I I I, I want to you kind of use that to pivot into your first example of someone who you whiffed on whether you were too high or too low and what you kind of think went wrong in your eval. Yeah. So if everyone's been listening, I've kind of vented before, like I've always had a problem with Kentucky point guards. Um, it just, I don't know what it is. It's, it's the one thing I've met. Like I feel pretty good every year about my evaluations. I feel pretty spot on, but whenever it's Kentucky, or like specifically like floor generals, I always am just, I have like a bone to pick with them. So Shea Gilgis Alexander was one of my biggest um, whiffs. And and it wasn't that I wasn't high on him at all. I didn't think he was going to be this good. Um, I thought he was going to be a a starter for a long time in the NBA. I didn't see him being like a star. And, And it was just, I think watching in that system, like watching what he was doing, I saw like a smooth guard that was shifty. I just didn't know if it was like going to translate to effectiveness at the next level. So I was like, okay, I don't know if there's this serious star upside, but I think he could be a damn good player for a really long time in the NBA. And like an important thing to say is like when I, throughout this segment, when we're saying whiffs, it's not like we were like, oh, this guy sucks. It was just one of those where I was like, I'm not as high on him as everybody else. I still had him as like a, a late lottery, probably not only the lottery. I had him like in the teens, probably like in the twenties. And, and I was just kind of like, I think someone's going to get a good basketball player, but I don't know if I'm drafting him so early to be a star and fuck was I wrong. Like, <laughs> I mean, and I love Shay so much. And, and that was just one of those evaluations where like you started seeing him click. And I was like, damn Ty you're wrong there like I learned my lesson and I was like I'm, I'm glad I was wrong because what a fun player he's turned out to be and, and I love watching him he, he's he's made me be way more patient now with evaluating point guards because I'm like it's not just what you're seeing this one year and you know he went 11th overall in 2018 he had 14 4 and 5 at Kentucky and the, the funniest thing was prepping for this today I was like he had 14, four and five at Kentucky. And I didn't like, I was like, what is wrong with me? I was like, those are good numbers for one and done. So um, no, it, it was just, that's one that's always going to live in my head rent free. And it's funny. Cause now every time I watch him, I'm like screaming, rooting for him on the TV. Cause I'm like, yes, make me feel worse about my evaluation. What about you, Metcalf? Which one sticks out? Uh, well, just real quick on SGA. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm interested. I'm fascinated that you weren't, that high on him because he feels just you know over this past year getting to know you and your preferences better it feels like he would fall right into that bucket of some of a big point guard with great feel that you would just love um yeah i i think i had him right around 10 uh maybe 10 to 13 just like back back end of the lottery and i what impressed me so much about sga's season was that he wasn't the typical prolific top 10 recruit that came into Kentucky every year. I think he was a four-star. I could be wrong depending on the scouting service, but he initially started off as a backup and then constantly improved and kept showing more and more and more and expanding his game and improving. Now I'm not sure I expected this obviously, or else I would have had him top five uh, because he's a freak of nature right now, but the, the size of playmaking 
the defense, I, I thought all of that was going to be a plus, but the, the way the shooting has really evolved, I think has been a huge weapon for him. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll touch on this more with other guys, but I've kind of come around to the point where I just expect everyone to improve as a shooter now, unless the, there's something horrifically wrong with their form or their chucking it one-handed from half court every time down the court. So I, I think SGA is a really good example of what we're trying to do with this episode because, you know, when I think back on that draft cycle, a lot of people were lower on him. And, you know, he, he's also one of those ones where people love to gloat about, oh, got, I got SGA right. So I, I'm glad that you brought him up first. Yeah, it, it was it, – it really is – it was kind of like a – almost like a rude awakening for me as an evaluator. I was like, wow, wow, did I miss on that one? You know, and I, and I'm not trying to be cocky here, but I usually feel pretty damn good about uh, my evaluations. Like I, I put in the time, I, I, I have an open mind on every prospect and I usually feel great about how I get kind of a grasp for everyone. And, and it was just so weird. Cause now, like you said, Metcalf, you've gotten to know me, like that's my bread and butter for yeah. guys. Like I, I love like, the the feel for the game guys that just patient and, and really understand how to make things happen and like i said before it wasn't that i was like this guy can't play it was just like i didn't i didn't see the star upside i, I didn't see him as like a you know middle lottery guy and, and then you know he when he went there i was like i don't know and, and then man was i wrong because i it's just such a fun thing like it's also fascinating because i think yeah the next year was uh the next year was like Murray. Uh, so that class had like, I'm, right, I'm in the right year, right? Okay, sorry. I always get so mixed up. The funny thing was like that class was like Luca. I was obsessed with Luca. Yeah. Which is yeah. like clear, clear number one. Yeah. SGA was like sort of the same vibes where it was like, it didn't have that elite burst, but he was super shifty. And so it's like, why was I obsessed with Luca and not with SGA? And then, you know, there was gar- guards like Trey Young, Colin Sexton, you know, so. I don't know if it was just like I was drunk on the the speed of the natural other point guards. And then I was like, well, I don't know about SGA. Now that I think about it more, like I almost feel like with SGA, I was kind of convinced he was going to be more of like a two. Um, huh. Cause he's like six, six. So yeah. I was like, is he, is he, are we trying to make him a point guard when he's really a two? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That that's really interesting, especially given where his, you know, his shooting projection, I guess, at the time was. But then once he got to OKC, we really saw that really play out when they went to those two and three point guard lineups that were absurdly effective. So uh, one could almost say you were you were ahead of your time with that eval of him. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Yeah, we'll go back to that. (laughs) All right. So kind of similar to you, the. one guy that I really missed on is weird because he's that type of player that I adore these physical three and D wings who have, you know, plus on ball equity and that's OG Ananobi in wow, the 2017 okay. draft. And, you know, I know OG went in the twenties, so I don't feel horrible about missing on him because 20 other NBA teams did as well, but he was an example of me improperly kind of waiting the tape that we did get from him because he did have that, I think it was a torn ACL 
uh, pretty yes. early into his season, and we didn't get to see a whole lot of him. So that became really tough for me, especially as someone who didn't have access to medicals and intel and background info and you know all that kind of stuff. So even though he's this exact prototype of player that I typically overrate and put in the top five when they should be, you know, around 15, you know, guys like Mikhail Bridges, I had obscenely high um, because I just love that archetype of player. And I just, I didn't properly weight the physical tools. Um, I didn't think he would shoot the way he has. And the the, the defense has just been so much better. So I, I think that's a really, you know, important example of how, how much injuries can skew things. And given where we are with, you know, medical technology, I'm not sure major injuries like that should play much of a role at all when really evaluating these guys. Yeah. OG was definitely one of those guys that I really liked, but um, that was like kind of when I was starting to get pretty serious about the entire like draft evaluating and, and you know, you did like you said, you didn't have access to medicals and stuff like that. It was, it's a whole different ball game. But I, when you saw him in Indiana, I really, really liked him. I was like, okay, you could see like the the athleticism pops. Um, the tools really were like coming together. I was like, at some point in the first round, it's going to be worth the gamble um, because it, that was looking like a guy that was going to go way earlier if he was healthy. I, I think he, like you said, he played like I think like sixteen games or something, and then had the ACL tear. So yeah, I mean, I, I totally get it. That's a good one though. Cause um, the injuries really play. That's where you like start to second guess yourself because yeah. you're thinking of the injury and you're like, well, you know, ACL always scares people. So they're always like this explosive wing. Is he now less explosive? Like, is he going to be this case where, you know, now I'm I'm thinking of him post injury, where it's like he's not going to be the exact same player. Like, what type of player is he going to be if he is that ex- explosiveness isn't there? Because some guys like they live off athleticism, right? So, like, if you're all of a sudden like stripping that from them, do they have the ability to kind of almost reinvent their game? And, and OG's just been one of those guys where it seems like each year he keeps taking strides. And um, I've loved him. I thought he went to a great place. So um, that's a good one. I like that. Um, because I really do think the medicals can, can make you get scared, get nervous and second guess yourself. Right. Which is exactly what I did. Cause I, I, I understood the athleticism and the strength and that, you know, that was kind of obvious from a defensive standpoint, but just the fact that I, I didn't have a whole lot of faith in that shot coming along. And I didn't think it's like, you know, my thought process at the time was, okay, if this awesome athlete can't shoot and his defense is cut by 10 to 20%, then where are we at with him as a player? And obviously the shot has come along. The on-ball equity has improved more than I definitely thought at the time. And it was just a case of this is an injury that we see a dozen guys get a year and they come back the next year. And I, I really think that the ACL tear, it, it sucks, obviously, because guys lose a year of development or of their prime but it's really turned into this injury where it's like, okay, well, we just don't see them for eight months and then it's whatever. And then they're back to normal. And obviously the Achilles is a little more extreme version of that. But I think, you know, 
the way that like Kevin Durant is coming back, obviously Kevin Durant is an outlier in every aspect of life. Yes. Uh, but even like Clay Thompson's coming is, is come back from it. So I, I think that all of these injuries are starting to kind of creep up to that point where, yeah, they suck. And yeah, these guys lose important time, but it's not super uncommon that they come back to what they were and then can improve upon that. So who you got is your next guy. Um, just to give you a little bit of credit so you feel better, OG in his second year in 16 games was averaging 11.1 points with shooting splits of 55, 31, and 56. So I'm going to give you the – we're going to give you the hall pass there. I'm going to say so, okay. so I was right. Okay. My, my yeah. email was perfect. We're going to ignore <laughs> what he's currently doing and just focus on that one 16-game sample size. Um, this is one where I really sucked. So everyone can make total fun of me. I had this guy in the fifties. Um, and now he looks like he's going to be a, a damn serious weapon in the NBA for years to come. Jordan pool. Oh, is one of my worst. Do you want to feel better? Do you have him too? Uh, he wasn't on my list for this, but I didn't even have him ranked. Oh, well then I'm at least a little smarter because I had him <laughs> ranked. No, but, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't change it, folks. I had him 58th. Pretty bad. Pretty bad one. Um, and boy, is it fucking awesome that I was wrong. Oh, yeah. Like, it has been so great. I've, I am so proud to eat crow on that one. Like, it is, I love it. Like, I don't root for guys to fail. It was just a guy I wasn't buying in on. And I will say, the shot selection at Michigan was horrendous. Um, I understood the idea. What'd you say? I would say that's putting it lightly. Yeah. And if anyone knows, you know, from watching <laughs> Michigan. Um, I mean, he had, he had two years in Michigan. He is the second year. He averaged 12.8 points, shooting splits of 43 and 36. And I just watched him and I was like, oh man, this guy's like, just has the quickest trigger ever. And it doesn't matter with him. I was like, someone has to get him under control. And then when the Warriors like gambled and took him that early, I was like, oh man, I don't know. But but it didn't start out well. The Warriors didn't give up on him. They just they put him in the G League for a while. They were like, hey, you gotta learn to be patient and, and get your confidence rolling. Um, I did a podcast with a former G League coach who talked about coaching against him his first year down there. And he's just like, he couldn't hit anything when he started down there. He yeah. was just ice cold. So like it took time to get confidence and, and now it's just like, oh my gosh, he, he's looked like one of the most fun revelations in this entire like NBA season. So um, yeah, Jordan Poole was my one guy because I don't, I'm okay at college if you have a little bit of a wild like green light mm-hmm. as a shooter, but it gets to a point where if like if you're consistently having stretches where you're really struggling from the field, then I'm like, okay, you got to do something to, to, to really like impact your team. Like if the shot isn't falling for a four game stretch, you got to get to the rack. You got to become a playmaker. You got to do something. And just too many times on film with him, I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is all over the place. Like, it was just like, I got to get a bottle of Advil to watch this. And, and man, it, it's been so awesome to see how quickly his career has shifted and, now he's looking like a guy that's going to get paid, and, and it's just been awesome. So yeah, Jordan Poole, my probably so, worse than SGA now, but um, 
because I still had SGA like as a good player. I just didn't think he was going to be like the prodigal son. But yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I was really close to putting pool on my list for this because I, like I said earlier, I didn't even have him in my top 60. I think it was right around like 65 to 70. Um, but the reason I didn't was because I'm not sure that our evals were that wrong of him. And you kind Tell of me mentioned more, that. Tell me more. So I, when you go through that, those first couple of years, like you said, they were awful and yeah. they were really bad. And what I, I think what, what I think Jordan Poole is a better example of is an outlier. And how many teams would have stayed patient through that entire development process and kept investing, investing, investing in him? And I don't think there are any because the Warriors were obviously in a state where they had their full team, their full rotation, one through 10, and they were set. They didn't need a young guy to come in and play and they could just throw him in the G league and let him do whatever their development staff wanted. So I think if he would have gone to any other team, that's where I think he's getting cut and not getting picked up and not having that investment time put in. Um, And I think it's a real testament to the organizational culture and patience by the Warriors as well as his work ethic, which I I underestimated based on you know the the background stuff that we were kind of getting on him from that Michigan program, and which you know it wasn't great, but maybe that was more of a kind of a McDaniel situation where he just needed to go, um, or to, to go to the pros. So I, it's tough because he's turned into a damn good player, and what he's done this year has been awesome, and I'm really excited for him to get paid because he's earned it and he's deserved it. But I think if you put him in any other situation in the league, he doesn't get to this point because I, after two, three years, I see most NBA programs being like, mm, he's not making that leap, cut him. And if that happens, I'm not sure we get to this point with him. Well, and this is a big problem with the NBA. Um, yeah. There's kind of like an unwritten rule you know, when it comes to NBA teams and like evaluating like prospects you just drafted, it's like, you usually want to give a guy three years and then you want to regroup and reevaluate them like as a player. And sometimes teams don't give guys those years to find their footing and grow. And guess where Jordan Poole's hit the stride his third year in the league. So the Warriors had a plan. They tried to get him rolling early. I mean, he averaged eight points a game with, while shooting 27% from three his rookie year. Um, and I know limited minutes, calm down, Dub Nation. And now he's like at 18 and a half points per game on 36%. So, I mean, he's he's on the way up. He's climbing. He's 92% from the free throw line. I mean, it, yeah. it's just awesome. But they they didn't give up on him. And mm-hmm. you're, you're spot on, Metcalf. Like, they could have – some other team would have might after one year just been like, nah, ain't going to work, and, and throw him as a – a sweetener in a trade deadline deal where it's like, yeah, we'll throw Jordan Poole in. Like we've seen enough. And it's like, right. He played one year. Like, um, you know, the guy got drafted. He was 20 years old. Like, so he's, he's 22 now. And all of a sudden he's been putting, putting in the work. Like you're saying, he's been working his ass off. He went to a great organization with a good culture. Mm-hmm. Um, he got to see all day. It's like, no, these guys are working their ass off. If you want to get to their, you know, level, you gotta, you gotta push yourself. And, and I think it, 
it shows the type of person he has been to accept that realize like I got to work my ass off. He put in that time. Like I think Draymond's even multiple times gone out and been like, that dude works so damn hard. Like, yeah, that's, that's a good guy to get in your corner. So um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. Like Jalen green, everyone was ready to write him off as a bust. And we hadn't even gotten through the first season. And I was like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, let's get this guy a couple of years first, please. So, and now he just looks like, you know, the, the next superstar of the league, but Hey, you know, let's give up on him after three months. So. Yeah. And I, I think Anthony Simons with Portland is another really good example of this, where yes. it's a guy who gets drafted into a situation where they don't need him, but they're okay being patient with him. And that, it's just so rare. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves of the, the whole, you know, draft Twitter process is so frequently we see, Oh, this guy should just go pro and get in an NBA development system. And you know, if, if if only a team will be patient with him. It's like, yeah, if only they would, but they very rarely are. It's like the, the turnover in these front offices is so frequent that why, why is this new GM going to want to invest money and time into this pick who's been in the G League for two years and showing no dividends? It's, it's all right, cut them, throw them in. Here's, you know, a million dollars as a trade sweetener. Let's go. Let's move on and we'll bring our new guys in here. So that kind of stuff is what really worries me about some of these really raw freshmen going pro right away. And if they go in the second round, those aren't guaranteed contracts. And then if they just get thrown in the G league, they get and get forgotten about and then they're gone and we never hear from them again. And from a basketball perspective. So a guy like Turquavion Smith is like the, the shining example of this for me this year where I Definitely think there's an NBA guard in there, and I think he has it, but it's going to take a lot of time. And if he doesn't go to the right situation where they're willing to be patient and really develop him and his body and his habits and his tendencies, then you know I think he's going to be one of these guys that just falls by the wayside. Yeah, I, I think um, you know I say it all the time. I, I say if this guy could go to an organization that stresses patience. And I think people take that way lighter than I say it. Like yeah, when I say stress patience, I'm like multiple years. Yeah. And ha- like to do that, you have to go to an organization that like a GM has to have job security. He has to have roster spots that he's willing to basically lock down for multiple years, regardless of, you know, how his team's doing. And he also has to have the confidence that if I draft this guy, wait two years, he doesn't pan out. I'm still going to have a job. So like, there is a lot of wrinkles that go into that process. Like, yeah, it's easy for us to always be like, you know, Peyton Watson today, like when he made this news that he's going to enter the draft, I was like, Oh gosh. Yes. Like I, I know he had a nightmare year, but I'm still such a believer but Peyton Watson's got a, a crazy pre-draft ahead of him. He's got to sell people that he's yeah. going to be ready to go more because if not, there's a fine line of GMs that are like going to be wanting to pick him because it, you got to have job security. You got to be knowing that like if Peyton Watson takes three years, I'm still going to have a job here no matter what. Right. Like that's where the teams like Memphis, um, Sam Presti's probably never going to leave Oklahoma City ever. Um, just guys like that, where they have to be like, Hey, I know what I'm building. I got long-term security. I'm going to be here. 
Why not? I can be patient with this guy because they are also going to have like Memphis might not have roster spots, but someone like OKC, like they still have plenty of, you know, holes to fill. They can take a couple of years to, to wait on a guy to click. Um, so I don't know. It, it's just a really, it's a really specific and like, I think sometimes people are like, Oh, if they're just patient and let them develop, it's like, no, you patience is not something that fans love (laughs) like we're all are in the same boat of this together we don't want to wait two years for a guy but sometimes it happens and and jordan pool perfect example take him three years before all of a sudden he was just like an absolute monster being unleashed off of the golden state's bench so um yeah yeah and and i'm not not only are fans you know uh, against patience and the vast majority of things, but so are owners. Like right. the, the, so, so few front offices have the job security to be like, to tell their owners, be like, don't worry. Three, three or four years down the line, this guy will be a good player. Owners don't want to hear that. They want to win yeah. now. So like, right. it just like going through the NBA teams who actually have that job security that they can just be like, it's okay. I have a track record of doing this. Like I've proven that I can do this. It's, what golden state san antonio oklahoma memphis miami yeah that's five like (laughs) so you know i i I do it too much too but you know as a draft community it's like we we really have to stop being like oh if they can only go go to a team where they can be patient with them it's like it just it doesn't happen and that's where i get hesitant about seeing these really 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 raw freshmen declare lose their eligibility to go back and then it's like eh, i'm bored with you and you're cut and you know maybe they bounce around the g league or the end of a bench for a few years so it, it, it's tough and it sucks but you know i i think jordan pool is a real testament to organizational culture and individual work ethic because what he has turned himself into and what the warriors have helped turn him into has been a hell of a player yeah, I, I mean, it, it's also funny too because, like, I, me personally, like, I, I really do wait like three years before I'm like completely. Yeah, I don't know if I'm throwing in the towel on a guy, but I, I wait three years before I'm reevaluating and being like, I messed up on that one. Like, I, you know, he he needs the new start, or um, then you kind of go like, okay, he needs to get going a little bit. Like, um, Onyeko Kongu. I'm still incredibly high on him. Oh yeah. And, and like, I would not, I think he's going to be fine, but yep. there's going to be some people that look and be like, Oh, you know, he went top 10 and he's only averaging eight points a game. And it's like, what's the situation. And, and he's also been injured his first two years. And every time he was hitting his stride and, and rolling, then all of a sudden he had a setback and it's like, can we wait until he has like a, another step forward before we throw in the towel on someone like that? And, He's only been, this is his second year. Like, let's give him another year. Maybe he has the Jordan Poole experience. Who knows? So. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a good place to put this dis- disclaimer too that I probably should have put at the front. But at least for my list on guys that I missed on who, you know, didn't turn out what I into what the, I thought they would be, none of these guys are guys from the last like two or three years. Because I, I refuse to be like, oh, this sophomore, he nah, he sucks. His career's right. over. And like, uh, unless there is some... something devastatingly wrong with his game i refuse to be like no he sucks i was off on that he's not an nba guy so quick disclaimer but unfortunately a guy who does fall into this category is Kyrie thomas uh drafted in 2018 
Wow. Uh, I did not see this one coming. I, I actually liked Kyrie a good I, amount too. This is a I good one. I loved Kyrie Thomas. I had a lottery grade on Kyrie Thomas. Oh, um, wow. Okay. I was not <laughs> drinking from that. Whoa. No. I was not drinking from that yeah. well. Um, yep. Okay. All right. Lottery. Yeah. Well, well I, I went to the wrong well and they poisoned me. Um, I, I, it's just kind of similar to those three and D versatile guard or wings. Um, the, these combo guards, I just, I absolutely adore. And I think that was a case of not properly reading his age, his experience, his situation, and how that, how his combination of tools would, or I guess in this case would not translate to the NBA. And I thought he was going to be so good. He ended up going in the forties and is basically out of the NBA, which sucks. So it was a big miss on Kyrie Thomas for me. And it hurts me every day. Um, I actually, it's, it's funny you say that. So he was was 18. I don't have that one, but Kyrie, I got a little drunk on Kyrie in the, in the late part of my draft evaluation. Um, yeah, because like at Creighton, he put up good numbers. It, it was like yeah. 15, um, 4, 2.8 assists, 1.7 steals, shooting splits 53, 41, 78. And he's 6'3", he's but I was like, okay, undersized guard, like kind of scrappy, can, looks like he's got some offensive upside. I was like, yeah, I could buy into a little sleeper, like second round. Um, I might have even had him late, late first. I don't know, but I, that's not a bad one because I – I was intrigued. He just looked like a, a, a bulldog that I was like, yeah, I, I would roll the dice on Kyrie Thomas, but that's a good one. That that one really caught me off guard, Metcalf. I, I was not expecting you to, to go there. Well, and, uh, and to, to make matters worse, then I, I was not, not quite as high, but very high on his predecessor in Tyshawn Alexander. And that, that has not gone according to plan. So I, I, I may need to just take... I just need to take a step back from Creighton guards for a while, um, which is going to be really hard given Ryan Nemhard and Trey Alexander next year. But yeah, I love Tyson Alexander. Yeah. Um, he got a two way with the Suns right away, right? Yeah. I was literally like convinced. I was like, that's going to be a steal. I don't know how, but he's going to be like the ninth guy on that roster and, and then get good. Um, yeah. I really liked Tyshawn. I was like, super drunk on that at the late <laughs> yeah. evaluation i was like kept moving him up in the second and i was like no i really really like tyshawn like someone's gonna get a steal yeah so me yeah. and you definitely have a problem with crazy <laughs> <laughs> all um, right who, who you got next is this my third yeah yeah okay so this one hurts this one hurts pretty bad um i think some people out there are gonna be on my wavelength i have a big weakness for upperclassmen especially productive upperclassmen. I'm kind of going a little outside of when I was like really, really crazy serious about like evaluating, like when I was like literally doing it religiously, but I was convinced this guy was going to be good. Um, Denzel Valentine. Well, it's gross. I know I, it was bad. I was just like good size, Looks like he could do a bit of everything, put up good numbers. Numbers got better each year. 
I was just like, this guy's just going to play for a really long time. And, and I wasn't thinking like, oh, he's going to average 20 a game. I just thought like going into that draft, I was like, the Spurs are going to somehow try to get this guy and he's going to like play forever in San Antonio and just be like a glue guy. And then he went to Chicago and I was like, okay, he should still be good. Cause I was just, I was just drunk on like, you know, playing at Michigan state. Those, those guys always stick in the league. Oh man. It just, no, just never. So that one hurt me. Cause I'm a sucker for the, the utility weapons, the, the gadget guys that can just do a little bit of everything. And, and I, you know, still going to, you know, AA meetings to talk about my love for Denzel Valentine in the 2016 NBA draft. So, I mean, he averaged 1977 shooting splits, 46, 44, 85. Like I, I know guys, I understand everyone listening and laughing, but I mean, come on. If you gave me that blind resume, I've been like, shit, that sounds pretty damn nice. I'll take that. But yeah, that's a bad one. Yeah. Um, I, I was never an undenzo. Um, I think part, well, so unfortunately I think part of it was being jaded by my Michigan fandom yeah, okay. um, and just hate hating everything Sparty. Um, I, I promise I've become less biased over the years, but I think that that was a situation where, or that was a case where I think I actually shockingly properly read his situation and the fact that he just did everything for that team and was so much older than everyone else. But, uh, you know, I, I think it was Maxwell who sent out that blind resume. I kind of hate blind resumes, but I think he was the one who sent it out um, a couple of weeks ago and it was Denzel versus Draymond Green's numbers. Yes. And, you know, Denzel overwhelmingly won that poll, I believe, um, because his, his senior year numbers are really absurd. They're really They're impressive. Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think that was really a case of, I obviously just something went wrong in his development in the NBA, but what I remember going through my evaluation of him that year and just being like, mm, he, God, he's, he's old. He does everything for this team and I'm just not buying it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good one because you, you definitely were not alone in being super high on him. And I, I think I was one of the few that year who was actually kind of out on him and I didn't have, a whole lot of concrete reasoning besides like, eh, I just don't get it. I just, it wasn't like I was like, okay, top 10 pick Denzel Valentine. It was just right, one of those, like, like, he's, he's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. He's going to be good. And, and then he went to like Chicago. I think I had him at 14, 14th, I think. Yeah. 14th. So he went and into the lottery and I was like, that's a good pick. There's going to be a great value. He's going to play for a long time. And shout out Denzel. You're, you know, Valentine's day is always tough around this part. <laughs> All right, my, my my last one is it's a more recent one, and oh. this is this is a guy who has outperformed my expectations. Um, what year? Let me play a guessing game. We're gonna have fun now. What year? Uh twenty twenty. Oh wow. Okay. Um, give me give me a scouting report. I'm gonna try to guess it. See if I'm right. Um. Okay. So I I never thought he would be bad. Um. But I thought his tape or his pre draft tape was some of the worst I'd seen um, oh, the, 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 the highlights, the highlights were absurd, but like the, the end to end viewing was really unenjoyable um, for me, at least. 
the the flashes were obviously brilliant. Uh, the the scoring and the shooting have been much better than I thought. Um, the defense is kind of eh, but I always expected him to be one of, if not the the best playmakers in the league. Oh, I thought I had it until you threw the playmaker in at the end. Um, obviously, it's got to be Poku. I was kind of kidding there. <laughs> um, the defense has been Cole Anthony, Lamelo. Oh, boo! This is you. Oh gosh. Okay, <laughs> I I didn't think you were going that high. I thought I was going to have to dig a little bit. Wow, Lamelo, no. talk to me. Yeah, so I, I I had it was like I had him like seventh or ninth Ooh. or something like that. So I like significantly lower than everyone else. And who hurt you that year? I mean, his, his tape, his, his decision making, his shot selection, his defense—that all hurt me. Um, the I tape was it. rough. I will back it, you up. The it tape was. was really rough. Anyone and, that says the tape was amazing is a liar, and I'm sorry right. to call everybody out. That is a liar. The, the, the highlights were amazing. The, the highlights the, were the, good. fucking great. Were, they were so was sweet. Like yeah. the, the best highlight package you could at, possibly come up with. Yes. Um, I thought the shooting was going to be so much worse. Uh, he's really reined in that decision-making, and kind of like Jaden McDaniels, I think that was a case of situation where he just didn't give a shit. And he he had free reign to go out there and do whatever the hell he wanted, and he did. Um, so I I undervalued the size. I undervalued the overall feel for the game. I always thought he would be this incredible passer. I thought that was obvious, obviously. Um, but the, the scoring took a much bigger jump and is a much more legitimate weapon than I anticipated. But is is that overall? I, I really have a problem with these young players that are just consistently trash decision makers. And that tape is what that showed me. So I, I didn't think he would be bad, but he has been so much better, so much more quickly than I ever anticipated. His tape, his highlight tape was hilarious. Cause it, it seems like if you showed just his highlight, tape, like say you went to a front office and you had a sell, um, that front office on Lamelo, you would show the offensive highlight tape, and they'd be like, "Oh, awesome! Let me see the defense." And you'd be like, "No, no, no, no! Just did you no. see that pass? Did you see the pass?" <laughs> like you'd be like, "Don't worry about the defense. Look yeah. at the pass." The defense was horrendous, and, and it was there was a lot of like lull and effort. And yeah. I love watching Lamelo. Like I'm not trying to downplay him, but you could tell it was just one of those like, "All right, like I I know where I'm at, and I know the next step, and." I've loved watching him in the NBA, but there was defensive highlights in the NBL that were just like, Oh my gosh. And it was just all kind of like, yeah, whatever. What am I doing here? Give me the ball. Exactly. Um, and I thought it was going to be really good. I did not think it was going to happen so quickly. Yeah. I thought he went to a great place with Charlotte that let him kind of run wild early on. Um, Borrego's done a great job coaching him, I think. And, everyone in the world was like, Oh, you, imagine if he was with golden state. It's like, if he went to golden state, he might not be where he is right now. So I am just, I'm saying like, um, that one always puzzled me. Cause I was like, well, okay, what, what are they going to do? He needs the ball in his hand. We're going to just get rid of it from Steph all the time. But that's another talk. Um, and now everyone that's a Warriors fans listening, going, okay, like, yeah, you could have played off the ball. Like, <laughs> um, but you know, L- Lomelo was definitely like, it was, 
you watched his highlight tape and you like had to do it in two sessions. You had to just watch the offense and like come back down from the high and then watch the defense. And then you had to like watch the offense again to pick you back <laughs> up. So it was, um, it, it was a, a really one. unhealthy diet of uppers and downers. And it was to find very that unhealthy. It was literally like <laughs> being in Wolf of Wall Street uppers and downers watching LaBella Ball film. But um, no, that's a, that's a good one. Um, having them that low is very... I, the, 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 that draft too was another one where we had oh that's your time. bad year yeah i was awful oh, that year I, and i i just overthought all of it um so i really i could have just ran out that entire draft class pretty much but for most of them i'm saying it's still way too early to make final judgment but Lamelo, that's easy i was I, I was way wrong and i will freely and gladly admit it because Whenever I'm lower on guys and they vastly exceed my expectations, I am ecstatic because that just means we get better basketball. Um, yes. But since this is a podcast about the NBA draft and we do have yes. a draft class coming up, I just want to get your thoughts on a couple guys who you're worried about potentially falling into this class for you. If we do this, you know, a couple of years from now, we look back and you're like, ah, God, I missed on that. Or I was way too high. Or what did, what did I not see that he showed then? And now he's, you know, so much better than I thought. I mean, I've probably pissed off enough people in this episode. So I'll just keep, let's just keep rolling with that momentum. Um, Tari Eason is probably there for me. And it's not that I don't think he's good. It's, I think he needs to go to a really specific, like, fit. Um, I think he needs to go somewhere where he's not going to be, like, the first, the second, maybe even the third option early on. And not a lot of guys that are probably going to go at the end of the lottery or, um, you know, early or late teens are going to be like inserted to be like, okay, you're our second option offensively. I'm just saying I, I was puzzling. I was struggling with Tari all year um, watching him. I was just like, everyone's in love with this guy. And I just like, I'm not there. And I did like, I did my very deep dive on him, um, which I'll probably do another one because I'm a psychopath. Um, and, and I really like him. I just think, that's the one puzzling me right now because defensively um, how did you word it Metcalf? You worded it in our, in our group chat. And I was like, that's such a great way to talk about his defense. Oh, like it, it, it's a lot of feast or famine. Yeah. So he just seems like one of those, he's like the gambling man where it's just kind of like, all right. And I, I, he's really good offensively off the dribble. Like he has a good first burst. I think the handles need some work. He always is coming back to his right hand. Um, and I mm-hmm. don't know if I feel like I was watching this and I was like, does he, uh, is he allergic? Does he have like a little Killian Hayes disease in him? Where it's just like, you always want to come back to that hand. And it's even like finishing around the basket. He wants, he wants to finish with the right hand most times. Yeah. Um, even on the other side of the rim, you're like, just th- use your left. Like, <laughs> please. And, um, and he's shown some touch with the left. So it's just kind of one of those like, okay, but, um, I even, I think Nathan got me like a synergy number. I was like, can you look this up for me? And he, he looked it up and it backed up. So I was like, okay. So that's why I'm more of saying like, I'm struggling with him because 
this is a really weird dilemma with prospects that I always come to is where a guy's like favoring one hand. I'm like, do I think that's going to be a problem? Or do I think if he unlocks the other hand, a monster is going to be let out of a cage. And that's where I'm at with Tari right now. And, and that's why I'm saying like, if he could go to a place that lets him kind of be almost like a, a weapon X, like a gadget, like complimentary piece, like Atlanta or, you know, somewhere like that where he's surrounded by shooters that space out the floor, let him drive because he's going to have some more spacing now. Like, so he can do what he does best while letting the rest of his skills develop. I think that's where Tari Eason could really thrive and beat my expectations. I'm just kind of right now. I'm like, I don't want someone to draft him to be like, this is going to be our, our go-to forward. We're going to feed him because I'm saying like, he could be a really damn nice complimentary piece i just kind of want him to go to like a a specific fit um like i even had like weird indiana vibes with like they're at their second pick or something like i don't know i i just like some team that has offensive weapons around him already that he can kind of go in and be like do your thing like do what you do best while your game continues to develop so what about you that that's where i'm at unless you want to talk about tari but no, no, I, I think you summed them up nicely. Um, so I, I just had a couple uh, that I'll just run through quick. Um, I, I think Max Christie is one of these guys where I'm just kind of betting on the talent that I believe is in there because the the tape, the numbers aren't awesome. But, God, I'm just convinced that he's one of these guys. But he kind of falls into that similar category of – if he goes to a place and the team is impatient with him, you know, this year I'm talking about if he stays in, then I'm not sure how much we see of him. But if he goes back, which in all honesty, even though I have like a mid first round grade on him still, it's just an island I'm, you know, willing to die on. Going back would probably allow him a bigger role, more development, more, you know, allow him to really improve his body physically. Um, so that is, I think he has a really high, high variance this year. Uh, another one who I'm just a little lower on, or actually not, not just a little, but quite significantly lower on than most is Blake Wesley. And he's one of these guys where I could, I, I can very easily see an outcome of him vastly exceeding where I have him ranked. I'm just thinking if I'm the NBA team drafting him, do I really want to spend all that time reworking his shot and trying to turn him into the type of player that he could be. I I just think he's so far away from that. Yeah. um, Well, I'll touch on Wesley and I I didn't know you were rattling off a couple in a row, but this is Wesley's a good one. I almost thought about Wesley. Um, I'm not there yet. I, I, cause I'm now I'm doing my deep dive on everyone and, and I'm, I got a long list above my head um, on my board, but um, Wesley's coming up and that one's going to be real serious for me. Cause I'm just going to be like, okay, am I in or out? You know, am I in or out on, on Blake Wesley? Cause this sounds like a bad comment on Blake Wesley, but it's not. Um, I just feel like his type of trajectory there's always going to be a, one of those guys each year when it comes to like a backcourt guy that can, can light it up from all over the place. So it's like, if you're not 
buying into him becoming this new, like couple levels ahead, are you better off going another direction? Like, and that's, I don't love that analysis yet. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not there yet. I need to do like my deep, deep dive on him because yeah. the upside's really fun. Um, yeah. The the downside's really scary. And yep. you're trying to figure out still which side, which side of the fence is he going to be on for a majority of the time. Um, I'm trying to think of another one. Kendall Brown's on my list because I'm still a really big believer and I'm, I'm getting ready. Like it's like the office gift. Like I'm ready to get hurt again. You know, like I, he's going to be one of those guys where I'm going to watch him again. And I'd be like, I'm, I don't care. I'm going to, if I swing mm-hmm. and miss, I swing and miss. Cause I really do like Kendall. I just think he needs to, to have some time to get that confidence rolling. He needs the Jordan pool exper- experience. Like he needs to kind of have that. Okay. Some team drafted me to be really patient and year two or year three, he just, blossoms and is like running all over the place because i think he's got freakish athleticism and the tools to be really scary nba player with his transition ability but he's got he's got some some work to be put out you got anyone else uh i mean all of them i'm i'm always worried but um kennedy chandler yes or no are we are you in or out yeah here we go define in no i'm not gonna do it in or out (laughs) um (laughs) Right now, it is it is uh, April 12th. Are you in and out on Kennedy Chandler? I'm going to ask you in exactly another month. Well, what, what, what does it mean? In or out? Like, it's, it, you just, no, <laughs> I, I just context. want one word. Are you in or you out? Are you in on Kennedy Chandler or out? So based on historical... and you need a rotation guard. Are you in or out on Kennedy Chandler? Oh, God. What do I have? Uh, probably out. Okay. All right. I'm I have a 37. Not that, that's not that far off. No, I know, but I've, there, there are a couple other guards ahead of him. Like, I, I'd take Keels over him. I'd take. Yeah, who wouldn't? I, I'd take Ryan Rollins, Christian Brown, Alondis Williams. Um, and then it'd be kind of a toss up between Chandler and Molinar. Oh, I do love me some Iris and Molinar. Molinar is going to go back and just piss me off. I already know it. Yeah, he, he's kind of feeling like this year's Igbashi for me, where it's like this guy that I really love and really want to go pro, and he just he won't do it. Yeah. Uh, but, I, I'm rooting for him if he goes back, because he could explode. But Yes, absolutely. I, I also feel like someone's going to steal him. <laughs> All right, Rocker, what, what, what's the best thing in basketball that you saw recently? I'm pretty proud about this one, Metcalf. This might be my best answer I've ever given. Love it. We didn't even get to the fucking play-in game, and we got a Mark Jackson to the Lakers rumor. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) if we're getting Mark Jackson to the Lakers rumors before the (laughs) play-in tournament, boys and girls, you better buckle up for the offseason with the Lakers because this thing, I mean, it's incredible. Like, Westbrook's apparently going to five different teams already, even though he couldn't get traded at the deadline. And now all, everyone wants Russell Westbrook. It's, if Mark Jackson goes to the Lakers, I'm going to do a, I'm going to attempt a backflip. I'm going to try. <laughs> like, I, I, oh man. I, I, you know, my joke today was 
You know, remember how Jason, I always used to say Jason Kidd's agent is the most underpaid person in basketball because every offseason he was rumored to be a head coaching candidate mm-hmm. for a team. I wonder if Mark Jackson hired Jason Kidd's agent. And now <laughs> this is his era. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, that, that's the best thing. I, I couldn't believe we got a Mark, like, shout out Sam and Mick. It gives, it gives us the, the golden ticket of Mark Jackson to the Lakers already with LeBron saying he would love it. Um, what about you, Metcalf? Uh, so um, mine is much less entertaining, but we are, re- we're, we're recording this during the Brooklyn uh, Cleveland game uh, about three minutes left in the third quarter. And Kyrie Irving currently has 26 points, eight assists, 10 of 10 from the floor and three of three from the, from uh, three. So he is showing out having a hell of a game and what could have been if, and you know, I'm going to get into it, but it's Rucker. okay because he's going to get defensive <laughs> player of the year. Marcus Smart, the rain, the, the theater of pain is coming. So, yeah, and I won't regret this comment at all when Kyrie drops 45 against. It definitely won't bite you in the ass. Oh gosh, <laughs> Rucker, this was good. This was therapeutic. I think it's always important to look back on what we've done, where we've missed, where we've been right. That's the only way we're ever going to learn and get better. Uh, please plug away. Tell the people where they can find you, where they can support you. Yeah, this was a fun one. Thank you for everyone listening. I hope everyone took this the right way. We're just, we're not trying to be arrogant or anything, but it's fun to, to talk about where you screwed up. And uh, it's also good to learn from it and laugh. Um, I'm at noceilingsmba.com. Um, what do I got coming this week? I'm going to be talking about the madman from Baylor. Some of you know him by Jeremy. Others know him for his hairstyle. I'm very excited to write that piece, Jeremy Sohan. And uh, what's uh, what else do I got? Oh, for No Ceilings TV, our YouTube channel, um, I think EJ Liddell highlights are on the way. So I'm Love pumped it. for that. And uh, you can follow me at Backward V or Tyler underscore Rucker on Twitter. So thanks, Metcalf. This was a great one. I was really pumped to do this episode with you. And I'm, I'm excited for the next episode, too. We're, we're having some fun at this lately. Yeah, yeah. They, these have been going really well. And the the, the support has been almost overwhelming and hopefully uh, everyone got a little more out of just our biggest misses and being entertained by that and took a little more away from where we missed and how we've tried to evolve and grow and improve. Um, But once again, I am Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at tmetcalf11. You can find all of our written work at noceilingsnba.com. It's free. Subscribe. It gets delivered directly to your inbox. There's no excuse not to subscribe. Just go do it. And while you're doing that, please make sure to head over to YouTube and subscribe to No Ceilings TV. Again, completely free, and your support means a ton to us. Please make sure to follow us on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA, where we share all of our written and video and pod cast episodes. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a, leave a review, and a five-star rating. Until next time, see you